Hey, it's Dave Breckenridge, your usual host for 10.3. Today we bring you a new feature on this show. Brian Platt and Stuart Thompson from the National Post's Ottawa Bureau bring you the latest on the Conservative Party of Canada's leadership race. And also, don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. Hello, and welcome to our Conservative Leadership Notebook, where we'll give you a quick update on the race each week. I'm Stuart Thompson, a National Post politics reporter. My name is Brian Platt, and I'm also a National Post politics reporter. And both of us are going to be covering the Conservative Leadership race from now through June 27th. And we want to use this show to talk about the big picture and some of the big storylines that are happening each week. But also, both of us spend much of our time talking to pretty much all the campaigns, and we want to every so often drill down into the weeds a little bit and explain some of the mechanics of what's happening behind the scenes. For now, though, we have one big storyline to talk, out, talk about, which is that Baird Watch is over. Mm-hmm. Our watch has come to an end. It's the second watch that we've had in this campaign. We had about a month of Rana watch earlier in January, and Rana Ambrose eventually decided she wasn't going to run. And then we entered a unexpected second watch, which was everybody looking to see if John Baird was going to get in the race. Baird would have been a big name, former cabinet minister, a very important cabinet minister and figure in the party during Stephen Harper's leadership and, and time as prime minister. And there was, seemed to be a lot of energy behind him. Stuart, are you surprised that he didn't get in? Uh, no. Although you always kind of, in this job, you kind of hope to be surprised by these things, um, just to make the race a little more interesting. But, I mean, the groundswell was real for John Baird. And I, I think that John Baird um, was always pretty happy with his life outside of politics, and it would have taken a lot to convince him. But the same way with Ronna Ambrose, if you have people like Jason Kenney, Stephen Harper, all kinds of other influential people that, you know, wouldn't be uh, household names to listeners, but all kinds of influential conservatives just pleading with you to run. Um, It probably makes, it's probably flattering, first of all, but also it probably makes you very seriously consider it, even if you weren't considering it before then. So I think a similar thing happened with John Baird. Almost immediately, Jason Kenney came out and said he wanted Baird to run. He did the same thing with Ronna Ambrose. And that's a little bit um, indicative of, I think, either some discontent with the current crop of candidates or just a little bit of discontent with the size of the field. I think people kind of wanted some more, some more ideas in there. Yeah, I think there's, I think there are two things happening. One is, given, you know, you and I have talked to quite a few of movers and shakers, we'll say, in the Conservative Party. And quite a few of them are just a little bit ambivalent about Peter McKay and the idea that, I don't think this is going to be a coronation for him, but the idea that he is the you know, a pretty significant, uh, a frontrunner by a significant amount right now, I would say. Yeah. People, uh, both, some people have some ambivalence about him and other people just want McKay's tires to get kicked as hard as possible to make yeah. sure that he is fully ready for this if he's going to be leader. You kind of want to stress test these yeah. people, right? Before you get into an election campaign. And, you know, the other thing that's going on here right now is John Baird has now said no. Rana Ambrose said no. Jean Charest said no. Peter Poiliev said no. Candace Bergen said no. Christy Clark said no. 
why doesn't anybody want this thing? <laughs> I mean, the liberals, there is, we have no idea what will happen in the next election. And for all we know, the le- maybe not the next election, but pretty soon we, they may be up against Christia Freeland instead of Justin Trudeau. So even though the liberals went down in the last election, there's no by no means guarantee that that will continue. At the same time, this is a chance to be prime minister fairly soon. Mm-hmm. much more soon than it looked like in the 2017 race. You could kind of understand why people stayed out of the 2017 race. And yet and yet the storyline has been everybody saying no. Why do you think that's happening? Yeah, it's I do think that there's less of a broader phenomenon here than there is just personal you know, people are having a good time with their private lives and I know Ron Ambrose in particular I spoke to a few conservatives who know her pretty well and were eager for her to run, but they were being cautious about encouraging her because they knew that, you know, politics is a hard life. And uh, I think Ambrose especially, um, it was a very stressful time for her. She was interim leader at a rough time for the party. Um, By all accounts, when you talk to MPs, that was sort of this really pleasant 18 months that Ambrose was in charge. So uh, I think a lot of them were eager for that. But I mean, you know, if people are happy with their lives, politics is a hard job. And when you saw Pierre Polyev make his announcement, he was talking about his family in really personal ways. And you could listen to him and and you kind of remember, yeah, these people like Pierre Polyev has a one-year-old. And if he was running to be the leader and then he won the leadership and then a minority parliament turned into an election campaign immediately, which these things tend to do, he just wouldn't see his family. And that, I think, is a very real concern. So uh, same with Baird, right? He's living a pretty happy life in the Well, and sector. I was going to say, along with it being a tough job, especially if you have young children, if you're, uh, this isn't the case for Polyev, but if you're Ambrose and Baird and, and Sheree, you're also making a lot of money in the private yeah. sector. And uh, But at the same time, you have a chance to etch your name in history as a prime minister. It is pretty hard to turn that down, I would think, and yet everybody's turning it down. Yeah. I guess you have to decide whether this is just a series of unconnected personal decisions. In the case of Sheree, I'm not sure I'm not, it was the fact that I think he just felt like he would literally have no chance, right? <laughs> that he felt like the party was was had moved too far beyond him. Yeah. Some of the funniest conversations I had in the run-up to Sheree was asking people about Sheree. And I did like the word skeptical is probably too soft for how people feel about Sheree. I mean, somebody told me that he would pretty much have to sign up a hundred thousand new members to win this race. And that's because all of the current members wouldn't have any interest in him. Um so yeah, I agree with that. Um but from afar, you may get the impression that perhaps people are just saying Peter McKay is probably going to win and you probably are skeptical of your own chances. But, you know, the more you talk to people, the more you think. I was talking to people about Baird and everyone seemed to think that Baird had a really solid shot at taking on McKay, uh, almost to the point where it would have been a 50-50 race. Well, I talked to a lot of people who thought Polyev was not a shoe-in, but a very, very good chance of winning. Yeah. So I don't think it's as simple as McKay's just going to run away with this thing. Yeah. Okay, two questions. First, is it too late for anybody else to get in? We're we're now under two weeks to go before the cutoff on February 27th. I'm inclined to say yes on that. I, I think that Baird was probably the last hope of somebody major getting in. Um, 
We haven't heard a final no from Michelle Rempel yet. No. Um, Rempel could probably do it. I mean, what we're looking at here is 1,000 signatures and $25,000. And I don't think the money is the biggest concern here because you can you can raise that or you can use your own money if you want to. Um, and that's just the first deadline. The final amount is 300000 That's the real hurdle. Yeah. But getting in at the end of this month in February... The thousand signatures, though it it's tough, but it's even tougher because these have to be all you know up to date members. So if you have some people who sign your form and then it turns out they let their membership lapse a month a month ago, you need a buffer on that, um, and you also need to get it from writings all across the country. So it takes some organization. So just to make sure everybody's clear on that point, to get just to get into the race, you need a thousand signatures and twenty five thousand by February twenty seventh. Which if you're if you're a uh, well-known name, it shouldn't be that hard to do, but you need to get access to the membership list. It's another 125,000 uh, and another thousand signatures. And that's really, that list is very important for organizing and fundraising. And to get onto the final ballot by March 25th, so not just a little over a month away, mm-hmm. you need to have another 150,000. So a total of 300,000. It's that, it's those other deadlines that are really, you are, if you get in now, you are really cutting it close. Okay, the other question I was going to ask was, Baird staying out, who does this help more, McKay or O'Toole? I think they're both pretty happy about it. Um, I think that Baird would take away a lot of that path that O'Toole is going for. Um, You can tell, I mean, I was just looking at some of O'Toole's ads just a minute ago. They're very sort of red meat conservative ideas. And that's that's a conscious strategy of his campaign. And that lane really opened up for them when Polyev went away because Polyev, I think, is uh, if you're sort of a, a liberal partisan or a neutral, you might see him as this kind of you know nakedly partisan. What's the word? Attack dog is the thing everyone uses in all their stories. But um, conservatives quite like that. He's somebody who's sticking up for them and sticking up for their ideas, and who has done that consistently since he got into the House of Commons since he was about 25 years old. Um, so that would have been a lane that Polyev would have filled. O'Toole has moved into it. I think Baird would have brought a lot of credibility to that kind of the the true blue conservative lane. So I think for O'Toole, there's probably a bit of a sigh of relief um, for McKay. Uh, I think he's probably pretty glad too because Baird is a formidable opponent. The um, I I think it helps them both. Obviously, O'Toole now really gets to consolidate behind the anti-McKay to the extent that people are skeptical about McKay. O'Toole becomes the guy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, unless we get a surprise entry, there's nobody else who looks like they're going to be enough of a front. We'll see how Marilyn Gladue does. I don't want to totally write everybody else off, but this lets O'Toole try to consolidate being the strong McKay alternative. Yeah. And I mean, that is... The question is, where do these people break? Because um, yesterday I was talking to a conservative who was, you know, I mean, the the McKay thing, this was somebody who was saying they had a lot of respect for McKay and they liked him as a person, um, but they they were really hoping Baird got in. Before that, they were really hoping that Ronna Ambrose got in. And Well, and the fact that Jason Kenney even is coming out in <laughs> yeah. both cases and, and making his intentions clear. Some of these people who are really associated with the Stephen Harper side of the party, they... Yeah clearly are not happy with a small field. Yeah. Whether it's a comment on the person specific personalities or not, they just want a bigger field. Yeah. And this person said, you know, I 
I would probably vote for Ambrose or Baird over McKay, but you know, McKay's all right. And right. I think that's you're hearing a lot of that. That you know, people aren't. Um, not everyone's super excited, but I don't think anyone's devastated that Peter McKay could be the leader. Okay, so uh, we'll see how things go. We, this may be it now in terms of candidates getting in. The last note we wanted to talk about uh, on this week's show was Stuart. You've been watching the the we of the two widely perceived front runners right now, O'Toole and McKay. We get this interesting insight now into advertising because of Facebook, and Facebook is obviously not the only game in town. It may not even be the most important game in town, but it's important. But we can also see specifically how candidates are targeting their Facebook ads. Yeah, and. I with a leadership race, obviously you're going straight for party members and you can waste resources if you're going anywhere else. So Facebook, I don't think will be the biggest tool they have, but I do think that it is kind of a microcosm of what they're doing on the whole. So you can look at that and McKay's ads are pretty predictable. He spent about just under $3,000 on Facebook ads last week. And the main one just says, hey, I'm the guy who united the progressive conservatives and the Canadian Alliance with Stephen Harper. We brought conservatives together, and his message is that I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep the coalition together as leader. Um, so it's kind of, you could imagine that as sort of a front-runner message. And the O'Toole uh, ads are fascinating because there's a lot more of them. He spent about $4,000 in the last week, and they are so granular that I think you and I have been sort of looking at the teams here, and O'Toole has a pretty impressive bunch of people with him it's this it's most of the same team from last time it's bigger so they just have more people uh they're more active they have um i'm not sure if listeners would be aware of the ontario proud facebook website but it's a very big influential uh facebook page for conservatives mainly um so they have somebody who was uh, pretty important in making that facebook page on their team and yeah, well, I mean, it, it's not surprising. I mean, this is, I wrote an article about this when they announced they, so Jeff Ballingall is the guy who created the Ontario Proud page and also helps run the Post Millennial now. It, when they hired him, it was a signal, we're going to be aggressive on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other part of this too is where they target geographically. Right? Yeah. And, you know, they were putting out ads that were sort of, you know, conservative issues like today coming out against the CBC TV saying they wanted to defund a lot of that, privatize it. Those are issues that probably play with conservatives all across the country. And then they would target the ads, sort of, you know, Alberta here and Ontario there. But now you're starting to see specific Newfoundland issues, for example. There's a whole ad, Aaron O'Toole, talking about issues that I wasn't even aware of that are going on in Newfoundland. They're they have ads for uh, interviews in Quebec. So they'll just post in French one of their um, Quebec interviews. It's just really interesting. It's interesting to see what messages they bring to each province and which messages they think are playing in each province and which provinces they're focusing on. So we're seeing a lot of action in Alberta for Aaron O'Toole, and that makes sense. Yeah, And Newfoundland, of course, everybody matters because yeah, uh, in some ways... If you can, it doesn't take nearly as many votes to dominate a riding there, and all the ridings count equally. Yeah. They're all 100 points. So if yeah. it's a riding in Quebec with 40 members, then that counts the same as one in Alberta with 4,000 members. Something we'll keep an eye on face, maybe Facebook corner with Stuart Thompson as we go <laughs> along. That is it for the show this week. 
we'll see by next week if we should know for sure if there's anybody who all if there's any other big names getting in because after next week i think it becomes pretty probably impossible yeah and if they do it we'll know that they'll do it because they'll tweet at 6 p.m around dinner time Ugh, like everyone else my does. newspaper deadlines are just killing me thanks for joining us this week for Stuart thompson i'm brian platt signing off 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Brian Platt and Stuart Thompson at the National Post. More from them at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.